This morning's passage is Philemon 4 through 7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. We're continuing on in this series now um, on this letter of Philemon. And what we're going to focus on today, so last week we focused on uh, who the letter was about, Onesimus. And today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on Philemon and the one that the letter was written to. And um, I'm really excited about this because, because I just think this is a fascinating story that I get to unpack uh, this morning as a pastor, and it's just a joy, it's a joy for me to be able to do this, so uh, I'm excited about it. Okay, Philemon is the person that this letter is written to, and it, it's, it's a letter that is connected. I have a couple of commentaries in my office on Philemon, and both of them are also commentaries on the book of Colossians. And you'll find that Colossians and Philemon are often bundled together uh, in commentaries. Part of the reason for that is a commentary on Philemon would be more of a pamphlet probably than a book. Um, But it's also because Colossians and Philemon are linked. They're linked together in a way that I think is really fascinating. Um, I first heard the message of the gospel from a sermon really a talk to a youth group that was based on a text from the book of Colossians. And the the passage is right up here. Um, So imagine 15-year-old Russ with hair down to the middle of his back, um, looking every bit as, yeah, I know, looking every bit as cool as you would imagine, um, hearing a youth pastor read these words. I'm in Sharpsville, Indiana. And he says, he reads these words, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I don't know how the Lord works through his word in your life, but this was a passage where when the youth pastor read it, there was a clarity about something that came to my mind from this text that really changed me. And it was the clarity that there are only two positions a person can be in in relationship to God. Either alienated from him and hostile in our minds, enemies of God, or holy and blameless in his sight, free from accusation, and beyond reproach. And there are no third options. You are either an enemy of God or you are perfect and holy in his sight, and that's it. And the only way for that to be possible 
is for the righteousness of Christ to be what God sees when he looks upon me. I still think about that. I think about how when I heard that message, it wasn't just the bad news of you're a sinner and you're hostile toward God. It was also the great news of the promise that the option that was not extended to me was an option of a second chance. Because that's a suffocating, terrible option. Because who among us hasn't blown through the second chance long ago, right? Instead, your option is you are either alienated from God or you are holy in his sight. And that all hinges on the work of Christ. That's Colossians. It's beautiful. I want to show you how the letter from Philemon, or the letter to Philemon, found its way from Paul's pen to Philemon's hand, and I want to connect it also to the book of Colossians. Okay, so here we go. This is pretty cool, these passages up here. If you're a, if you're a interested in minutiae in the Bible or, or details or you're just a Bible nerd at all, this is going to be great. I think one thing I'd like to say about this before we go is on social media, people say dumb things about the Bible. One of the dumb things people say about the Bible is they'll say, show me a verse where God says blah, blah, blah. And oftentimes these truths that Christians embrace, show me one time where the word Trinity is used in the Bible, you know, things like that. It's like to be literate in a work of literature is to understand it comprehensively and to read it comprehensively and not to hunt and peck for little proof texts that appear here and there, right? And so I just read somebody say, you know, Jesus never actually commanded anybody to sing to him. What does that have to do with anything, right? We, the book of Psalms are all about God's people responding to the Lord in song as a response of worship. To say that Jesus never commanded every, anybody to sing to him as though singing, the people of God singing, is not a necessary biblical thing, is to just ignore all of the Bible. Like, it's just filled with it. Anyway, so all that is to say... When you look at the scripture as a whole and you start to put things together, it's amazing what you'll find. Here's an example. Philemon was a leader in the church in Colossae. How do we know? So Paul writes Philemon. He writes this letter to Philemon, who's a leader in the church in Colossae. How do we know that Philemon is a leader there? Well, the reason we know this is because in Colossians, Paul writes to the church, And one of the things he says to the church is he says, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And then he says this, I have sent Tychicus to you that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful beloved brother who is one of you. Okay, hold that thought for a second. Because this is how we learn that Onesimus is from Colossae. Then we read, in the opening verses of Philemon, these verses that 
where we discover that the church in Onesimus' hometown of Colossae met in Philemon's home. So it's this passage right here. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace and peace to you. When you take those two details and you put them together, what do you find? If Philemon wasn't the leader of the church in Colossae, because the church in Colossae met in his house, then he was at least one of the leaders in the church in Colossae. But then it gets even richer because you realize that when Tychicus arrived at the church in Colossae, he arrived not with just Paul's letter to the Colossians, but he arrived also with Paul's letter to Philemon. What does that mean? Tychicus enters the church in Colossae. He's standing in Philemon's house. And who is beside him? Onesimus. Onesimus is there. None other than Onesimus, Philemon's runaway slave who had stolen from him. And now he is returned for the purpose of seeking reconciliation. It just, that's good right there. Okay, so listen, add to it, this is first century stuff. There would have been no real notice of their arrival except for them just showing up. Like it wasn't that they could send a telegram beforehand, they just showed up. It was the sight of them at the door. There was a knock on their door, somebody opened it, maybe it was Philemon, and standing there in the doorway is Tychicus and Philemon, and they have with them two letters from the Apostle Paul. One of the letters, Tychicus explains, is to the church that meets in this house. And the other one is personally to Philemon, the homeowner, and it is about Onesimus, who is standing right there. Sometimes, Our unfinished business with the Lord or with others gets a visit from providence, and we are left with no choice but to react and to respond. Had Philemon harbored anger in his heart toward Onesimus? Did he feel betrayed by him? We don't know much about Onesimus and Philemon's past except that they were once in a relationship where Onesimus was the slave and Philemon was the master. And then we also know this detail that kind of changes everything, and that is that they both came to know Jesus. And we know that conversion to Christ didn't just change who they were, but it changed who they would then have to be to one another from that point on. And so with Onesimus at his door, Philemon has a decision to make. What would guide him in his decision? Would it be Onesimus' past perceived sin against him? Or would it be 
Christ's ever-present grace at work in his life. What would you have done? What is the scenario now where you are avoiding contact with someone who you believe has sinned against you or maybe you have sinned against? What do you do? What would guide him? I can just picture Tychicus at the door. And I can just picture him saying, I have two letters here. One is for the church, but this one is for you, Philemon. And it's a personal letter from Paul. And it's about him. And you probably should just go ahead and read it. And when Philemon unrolled the letter, here is some of what he read about Onesimus. This is verses 8 through 20. He says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending you my very heart. And I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. That's a letter Philemon has to do something with. He's not just telling him about the weather in Rome. He's he's giving him stuff to do, things he has to deal with. He either has to ignore it or he has to take his counsel. And Paul is making a point here. He's saying, if Christ is the Lord of your life, then everything changes. It changes how we see each other. It changes how we respond to those who have wronged us. It changes how we receive each other when Benign things like like time and distance and change come, or also when relationally charged things happen, like sins and transgressions that have separated us. Christ overrules any other definition we may have about who we are to each other. We are family, we are brothers, and we are sisters, and we are united by Christ. And Philemon knows this. He knows this firsthand. His whole life has been transformed by the work of Jesus. Who he was before Christ, though we know little, is not who he is now. 
Paul opens his letter affirming this. It's what TK read so beautifully a moment ago. He says, Philemon is a, repu- is a man with a reputation of love and faith. And then he pours out that love and faith for the benefit of others. And people's lives have been changed by Christ through Philemon. Additionally, he says, Philemon has been a source of great joy and comfort for Paul. Because Philemon has loved Paul well. And he hasn't just loved Paul well. Philemon has a reputation, he says in verse 7, of being spiritually refreshing to be around. He's a changed man. But here's the thing, Philemon. By God's providence, Onesimus is a changed man too. And so in his hands, Philemon holds Paul's words about that change. Both men. In both of their lives, Christ has overcome their pasts. So now all that matters for these men is what happens next. And this is Paul's entire argument to Philemon. If Jesus changes you, who are you to one another? And his answer is, well, you're brothers. And you are nothing less than brothers. But, as Paul points out in verse 8, the only way to embrace this brotherhood is through love. I love the way that this letter gives us a window into Paul's method of persuasion. It really is an amazing window into it. Some might even argue that Paul is being manipulative here. And I don't think you'd be wrong. I think there's a way to be manipulative that is redemptive. Because he's not being manipulative in a dishonest way. But he's leaning into the truth of what Christ has done knowing that if Philemon doesn't respond from the heart, then his response is going to be in vain. If Paul just bosses him around and he just acquiesces, it may be good for Onesimus, but it won't be good for Philemon. And so Paul says, in effect, look, I could command you to do what I'm about to ask. This is me paraphrasing. I could command you to do what I'm about to ask, but I don't want to. What I want is I want to give you room to deal with this on a heart level. I want you to live under the banner of the truth that Christ changes us. It's interesting in this letter how it's not until verse 10 that Paul even uses Onesimus' name. Just leaves him out of it in the beginning. What is he doing? Well, he's preparing Philemon, right? He's preparing Philemon to hear his appeal for mercy. And so before he even mentions Onesimus, who is the elephant in the room, so to speak, because he's actually in the room, right? (laughs) He knows this letter at some point is going to get to what's happening here. Before he even mentions Onesimus, he he, he reminds Philemon of the eternal truth of the transforming power of grace. And he asks Philemon just to live by it. And so when he does mention Onesimus, he talks about this runaway and what he has become to Paul. And his language is truly affectionate. He says, Onesimus is my child whose father 
I became when I was in prison. What is he describing? What he's saying is he's saying, I was in the room when my spiritual son was born for the second time. How did Onesimus change? Well, he describes it. He says, Onesimus gave himself in service to me, for which Paul is grateful to God. And this is where we get a hint that Onesimus had a reputation for being a pretty useless slave before coming to Christ. Now, listen, you can interpret that a couple of different ways, right? Some have said, yeah, Onesimus was lazy before he became a Christian, and after he became a Christian, uh, he developed a work ethic. I think that's bonkers. Here's what I think. I think Onesimus resisted his position as a slave. I think Onesimus acquiesced as little as he possibly could because of the indignity of being a man who was owned by another man. And I think he just didn't cooperate with it. And so, yeah, he has a reputation for being not a very great working slave. But that doesn't mean he was lazy. It could mean he was just living his life in protest. But... When he became a Christian, he started attending to Paul, who was in prison. Paul, who in many ways was like Onesimus in that he was now property of the empire of Rome. And he says, he was so useful for me. In fact, he's become my heart. And then Paul gets down to business. He says, one key reason Philemon must do something with this letter is because he didn't just send the note about Onesimus, he sent Onesimus. And as it is with any relationship, this is going to cost Philemon something. Relationships cost us something. Relationships are costly regardless, but for those in Christ, love has to rule over those relationships. It's Christ who gives us to one another. It's the love of Christ that binds us together. It's the grace of Christ that guides us through this life as we live as his people here. And in Christ, we are more deeply joined to one another than I suspect any of us really understand. I mean, you got, we are bound to each other. And we see that through a glass very darkly. But one day we'll see it clearly. For love's sake, Onesimus and Paul agreed that Onesimus needed to reconcile with Philemon. And so just as his drive to escape from Philemon led him to flee 1,200 miles to get away from him, the distance from Nashville to Denver, the drive to be reconciled has now set him back on this return trip. And Paul says to Philemon, I would have loved to have kept him with me. But there's a debt. There's a debt that both Paul and Onesimus owe Philemon now. What is the debt? Well, they owe it to Philemon to give him an opportunity to receive Onesimus back as a brother. They can't withhold the opportunity to receive Onesimus as a brother. 
Next week, we're going to dig into Paul's articulation of this debt even in more detail. And we're going to see more of his approach to persuasion. But now, notice what it boils down to is that before Christ, one of them existed to serve the other. Onesimus existed to serve Philemon. But now in Christ, they both exist to serve the Lord. And so is this going to leave Philemon with the feeling that he still owed something when Onesimus shows back up? Or is it going to leave him with the feeling that he is happily somehow coming out ahead in this deal? Paul believes he knows the answer here. And he says it in verse 21. He says that he believes that Philemon will do even more than I say, which is another tactic of persuasion, right? I think you're going to do more than I'm asking, Paul or Philemon, and history suggests that actually he was right about this, that he did do more. But the point is, it's usually going to cost you to forgive something. It costs you to forgive. Why? Well, because forgiveness is the work of liberation. Forgiveness is the work of letting someone off the hook. Every one of us has, at one time or another, been enslaved by somebody else's anger, by somebody else's bitterness, by somebody else's disappointment, just as we have taken others captive by ours. And this is where forgiveness comes in. To forgive is not merely to dismiss an offense. It is to release someone, to live in freedom from the debt of that offense. It's to eat the debt. Why would we do that? Well, because forgiveness is not a neutral act. To borrow a phrase from Rich Mullins, it shakes us forward and it shakes us free. That's how Paul characterizes the choice before Philemon here. He says, if Philemon forgives Onesimus, he takes him back no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother. And not only is his past pardoned, But his future now finds a renewed purpose. Robert Rayburn, who was the president of Covenant Theological Seminary and a pastor in the Seattle area, wrote this in one of his sermons about Philemon, about the historical outcomes. And he says this, he said, there's a spectacular sequel to this letter. It cannot be proved as a certainty, but there seems to be no reason to doubt the account of early Christian documents that years later Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch, while being escorted to Rome to face martyrdom, wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. And in the opening few lines of that letter, he mentions having been visited on his journey by their bishop, the bishop of Ephesus, one Onesimus, whose love, Ignatius says, beyond words. Rayburn continues, what a wonderful thing to think that Philemon welcomed his runaway slave back as a brother, granted him his freedom, saw him established in the church, and then Onesimus proved himself to have been perhaps even beyond Paul's own imagining a true co-laborer in the gospel with the great apostle. Now, we can't know for certain that Philemon's brother in Christ, Onesimus, was the same person 
that Ignatius spoke about, but he may well have been for a couple of reasons. One, Jesus is stronger than our pasts. But also, I have to believe that Philemon and Onesimus embraced one another as brothers because this letter still exists. It would be really, really strange for this letter to be in the canon of Scripture if Philemon ignored it and received Onesimus back as his property. I mean, what weight would it have carried at all then? What value to the church would it have carried? Who would have passed something like this down? It would have been an embarrassment to the church, not an encouragement. And yet, here we have it. I think the fact that we don't know exactly what happened is an application in itself. Because what it means is this. The uncertainty invites us to substitute Philemon's name for our own. Will you forgive? Will you count your own fault in the brokenness of that relationship? Will you let the work of Christ define who you are to each other? Not knowing invites us to embrace the work of Christ in each other's lives, to forgive where there are offenses, to love each other, and to love each other in a future-bound direction. And as Paul said to Philemon, I believe the Lord says to us all, I know you will do even more than I say. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this letter, for the details in your word which help us understand how things went down with this letter being written, with this letter being delivered, where it went, the beauty of the drama of Onesimus being one of the people who delivered the letter to Philemon that was about him. Father, I thank you that we have this personal correspondence in your word because it invites us to interact with the themes of the letter very personally ourselves, to put ourselves in the position of people who have these ethical and theological situations to untangle in how they live and in how they think and in how they proceed. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to learn what it means to receive other people, followers of Christ, as our brothers and our sisters, and as nothing less than that. And that we would understand in those places where we may feel less, where we may feel insufficient or inadequate to be loved, that you would remind us through this letter that we are nothing less than brothers and sisters in Christ, even with the likes of Philemon and Onesimus and Paul, brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, continue to 
Bring your word to bear in our hearts by way of the imagination and by way of story as we engage with this particular story. And we thank you for your mercy and grace at work in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.